Hey, it's Scott Petrick with another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. The season ended with a whimper Sunday in Pittsburgh. Deshaun Watson was harassed all day. The defense couldn't get off the field when it counted. And the Browns lost 28-14 to finish the year 7-10. Then, defensive coordinator Joe Woods was fired. Here to discuss, as always, is Dave Chodowski of Go, the WKYC Morning News. What's up, Chud? I guess kind of a sense of relief, Scott. How are you? I mean, I, I just <laughs> it's, it, it sucks because that's kind of the way I feel. And Browns fans, you know, not all of them, but many, and just probably glad the season's over because, you know, it just comes to a point where at times it's not even fun, you know, and that's what it's supposed to be. And uh, I don't know. Did you see uh, Jimmy's uh, take on the red zone? Uh, did you see that did. swirling around social media? I did about how they um, need to be more open to the fans and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I I thought that was a really good take. Um, you know, it's just frustrating because if you I you know listen, you got the Packers, you got the Steelers. I know Broncos fans, Cowboys. Uh, you know, there's so many passionate fans. Eagles. I mean, I, I get it. There are a lot of passionate fan bases in the NFL, but man, at the top of the list is the Browns because yeah. of what we've had to go through. And it really, if you, it really kind of is amazing. And I understand it and you do too, because we're from here and we get the passion, but man, I got to tell you, it's amazing that the fans come back year in, year in and year out and um, give what they give. Don't you think? Oh, there's no doubt about it. And I mean, that's one of the things that makes this job, um, you know, worthwhile. And because, you know, people are paying attention, right. You know, the, the zealot or the zealousness, I don't know if that's a word, but that they have for this team, the fanaticism, right, that people have for this team and the interest, right? Whether or not they're winning, whether or not they're losing, which obviously they've done way more than winning lately since I've been covering this team. Um, usually there's a lot of interest. And you're right, you see peaks and valleys and you see the frustration during the season. Um, you know, I've mentioned it before, I'm on this text chain with a bunch of knuckleheads and you know, it, it points during the season as I'm done with this team. But yet when the game starts, my phone starts blowing up again, right? And that was happening, in you know, Sunday against the Steelers, right? A game that didn't really mean anything for the Browns. It's a lot of chatter. Um, I know my uncle texted me during the week about something and, you know, was excited about the game. And, and I get it. It was the last one, right? No matter how bad the season is, the last one, you know, it has a little bit of specialness to it because – as bad as the season was and as disappointing as they usually are for Browns and their fans, you don't get to see another game that counts in for nine more months, right? And yeah. I think that stinks. You know, even, you know, it's probably sounds silly, but, like, I, we were watching practice Friday, and it's the last one I'm going to see until, you know, May, probably when OTAs start. And not that, you know, <laughs> it's not like um, – you. Know, tearing up or anything, but it's like, hey, I kind of like, I like watching football. I like watching football practice. It might get mundane and boring day after day watching these guys stretch, but I like being out there on the field um, watching football. So even that, it's like, well, it's going to be a while. I kind of enjoy it, you know? So I um, mean, you take yeah. that to another level with an actual game and the fans and, you know, they live and die with this team, right? I'm a, I can de detach myself a little bit from the results. Um, or I like to think a lot from the results, but the fans don't, you know. So um, I, I get it. You know, luckily there's playoff football to watch for the next month. Um, 
But then it's, you know, a while without football on the field. Um, the NFL will give me stuff to write about, but there is, uh, yeah. you know, it, it's just an ending. Well, and I would like to thank everyone for listening to us, too, because, you know, I don't know if people know this, but, I mean, obviously this is, you know, your job, right? And, you know, my job is morning anchor on, on Channel 3, used to be in the sports department. Uh, you've been coming on the Half Hour Show. You go on with Nick Camino still here and there. And you don't get paid to do that, and I don't get paid to come on here <laughs> right. with you. So, I mean, we're kind of in the same boat. I hope people realize we're, we're passionate fans that do a job. We're able to kind of separate from it because we have to. And um, But we're right with you, everybody. Whoever's listening, Scott and I are with you. You know, we, we want to see this team win. I think we're able to step back and be critical when we have to. And, uh, you know, it's, hey, man, we're wrapping up another year of doing this. It's 2000. Yeah. We're into 2023, and you and I have been talking Browns together since, what, 2008? So, wow. um, there you go, right? Jeez, so that's a long time. Yeah, and, you know, like I talk about being detached, you know, and I am because that's, you know, I'm a journalist, and um, it's not my job to root for the Browns. But right, I'd like to see him win because I know so many, you know, because I know so many people that want them to win, right? I guess that's where it comes from. You know, it's everybody I grew up with, all my family. They don't want to see the Browns win, so I feel bad for them, like you said, when there's another missed, you know, another season where it felt like they could have gone to the playoffs and they didn't, right? And we can we'll break down all the reasons that was. Um, but you know, like the bottom line is, you know, Browns fans, since I've been on this beat in 2004, um, they've had one playoff season, right? And they've one playoff win, two playoff games since 2004. And only two winning seasons since 2004. And that's, it's incomprehensible. And I really, when I write, I don't like to dwell on that too much because fans already know, right? So I don't need to beat them over the head with it. But every once in a while when you take a step back and you crunch the numbers, you know, it's one playoff season in 20 years. Um, That's really mind-boggling. And more mind-boggling is the people um, stay as passionate as they do. Yeah, no question about it. And, uh, well, we'll talk Steelers, Browns in a second. I don't think we need to spend a ton of time rehashing the game, but we'll go back to that and talk about uh, records and uh, different things that in the game. But I think the lead story here is what happened, uh, you know, the night the night of, but we didn't find out about till the morning. And uh, that's uh, Joe Woods is gone. We've talked about him over and over and over on this podcast. And uh, basically that's that's the big news. He, he takes yeah. the fall. How do you feel about that? Is it, uh, you know, was it fair? Did he need to go? Do others need to go? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I certainly expected it. it. It felt like it was going in that direction. Um, here's why I think it was probably necessary, Chud, is when you miss the playoffs back-to-back years and you go 8-9 and, and 7-10, and 10, and there are, in my opinion, legitimate playoff expectations, right? There were – Last year and there were this year, coming off, you know, the playoff season of 2020. When you don't make the playoffs back-to-back years, I feel like something needs to change. And, you know, you can do that through, you know, obviously the roster changes every year. But you could do it with roster changes. You could do it through whatever, change in scheme or change in approach. But something needs to change. And it felt to me like something significant needed to change. And... It always felt like it was going toward 
coordinator, defensive coordinator change. And that was Joe Woods. Winds up being the fall guy, like you said. Gets fired. And this is not, I'm not pinning everything on Joe Woods. Because there's a lot that goes into why the defense is bad. We've talked about it. The D tackles, right, weren't good enough. Bunch of injuries at linebacker. You got, you know, a guy like Jadavion Clowney, and I want to get into that because last week we taped the pod before the Clowney stuff came down. Um, yep. But, you know, you get a guy like that, and I don't I don't necessarily blame Joe Woods for not being able to handle that situation, right? You get kind of a renegade guy, but that's it's a bad look. But and my point is you have all these other elements that I don't necessarily blame Joe Woods for. But he's the guy. He's the guy calling the plays. It's his scheme, and – He's responsible for the success or failure of the defense. The defense failed too many times. Blown coverages early. Lack of, you know, the, they never fixed the run defense. They gave up way too many yards starting week four, and it never got fixed, even at the end of the year. Um, so, yeah, you know, whether – and I like Joe Woods. I think he's a good guy. I think his players, you know, like him. But he never showed – I guess he didn't show me enough to say, I'm going to stick with this guy despite all the issues on defense. So I'm okay with the move. Um, it made sense to me. You know, we'll see if there's any other fallout. You know, Kevin Stefanski would not answer directly when asked if Mike Prefer would be back. Um, my thought is that if he was going to be fired, he would have been fired by now. Um, but I don't think we have complete resolution on that. So it feels like, but for now, it feels like Joe Woods is – you know, the guy that – not I don't want to call him a scapegoat because he had his issues and the defense had its issues, but I think fall guy is appropriate because if that's the one big change, that he's the guy. Well, fall guy too, and he didn't have a mulligan, right? I mean, yeah. Stefanski, I think Stefanski, Watson, the quarterback situation, uh, all of that, you kind of say, all right, hey, we're going to give you another year. Yeah. But, you know, he had Miles Garrett all year. It's not like he was missing – a key component, and also it's not like we've seen in the past this defense has been amazing. Yeah, I think that's. I think those are all really good points. Um, you know, you look at the numbers, and actually the stats were worse, the worst in 2020 when they go to the playoffs, the defensive stats. And then they got better. Like 2021, they were fifth in yardage. Now, it didn't feel like they played that well, and at the end of the season they played better, and I think that – change the stats a little bit, not skewed, but that affected the stats. Um, and then this year, you know, we talked about the run defense was awful. Like bottom of the year in those, um, you know, kind of the DVOAs and expected yardage stats that I qu don't quite understand. I think they're 25th and just flat out yardage. Um, the pass defense is better, you know, but it, I think top 10. But that makes sense because teams are running the ball more than throwing it because you're terrible against the run. And the Browns have good corners, right? Like, they have a lot of resources invested in the secondary, so that would make sense. But yet there were still big breakdowns. You know, you talk about a couple of games switching things here and there, and, you know, they blew that game against the Jets, and, yeah, there were a bunch of factors, but they gave up a huge touchdown on a blown coverage that changed it. And then they gave up another touchdown. Um, you know, they couldn't stop the run against Atlanta. They couldn't get off the field against the Chargers. They got off the field once, and then Cade York missed a kick, but they still gave up 30 points. So in games where they had chances to win and had leads, they couldn't hold them, and a lot of that falls on the defense. And you're right. Yes, Miles Garrett missed a game in battle to 
a shoulder and bicep injuries, right? But he still had 16 sacks. Denzel Ward missed a couple games. Greg Newsom, but nothing. You know, the big injuries were a linebacker, and those were those affected how things went. But I'm with you. There was no nothing you could just point at and say that's why the defense struggled. Where on offense, there's this huge factor in the Deshaun Watson suspension and then the Deshaun Watson rush. So I think you make a good point there. Yeah, and and you bring up they have good cornerbacks and the, the well at least we're told they have a good defensive backfield, Scott. But well, you know I don't I think we see it week in and week out. Yeah, I might push you back. Uh, you know I think Denzel Ward struggled early, and then he had a concussion. I thought he played really well late. I thought Greg Newsom he didn't take the jump to elite status that he thought he would, but I thought he was you know I don't know above average. And I thought Martin Emerson played really well for a, a you know. Uh, a rookie corner. Now, we can talk about John Johnson the third and Grant Delpit at safety and whether or not they have lived up to their billing and they haven't. I think Grant Delpit has gotten better um, late in the season, and I talked to him right at the end, and then we had all the stuff with Clowney, so I wasn't able to write about it. I hope to get to that at some point. But, yeah, I mean, your, your points will take you. Like, God, you could probably say nobody lived up to expectations um, except maybe Miles Garrett, right, who matches the total he had last year for sacks. Um, your points will take it. I, I do think that this cornerback group is strong, though. Yeah. All right. I'll give you that. And and even even people will question whether Miles Garrett has lived up to what they yeah. want him to be because they put him at such high expectations. But Just we can talk about that. We'll talk about that in, uh, during the off season. Uh, let's talk about who's going to come in to replace Joe Woods. Uh, the big names that you're hearing are Schwartz and Flores. Uh, what are you hearing? Who who do you think is going to be the guy? Yeah, and I mean, where are they at? Who, who's been in? Just yeah, give us the full rundown. We're taping this Thursday morning. Um, so Jim Schwartz interviewed Wednesday. Brian Flores is scheduled to interview Thursday, and then there's Gerard Mayo, um, the linebackers coach for the Patriots, used to play linebacker for the Patriots, and then Seahawks associate head coach defense Sean Desai. Um, I'm not sure exactly when those guys are scheduled for interviews. Um, you would expect it to be, you know, either late this week, over the weekend, early next week. I don't think there's any, um, you know, they're trying to drag this out. I think the Browns want to get this process. Obviously, they want to get it moving because they started requesting interviews Monday and started the interview process Wednesday. Now, Jim Schwartz, he spent the last two years as a senior defensive assistant with the Titans. I mean, he's got an impressive resume. Um, was head coach of the Lions for five years, went to the playoffs once with them, had inherited an 0-16 team, but has spent his most of his career on the defensive side of the ball, defensive coordinator, started in, actually with the Browns in the NFL in 1993 as a scout, um, but then moved over to coaching when the team moved to Baltimore, became a defensive coordinator, long time with the Titans, went through a Super Bowl, the one they lost, you know, on that play where um guy was stopped a yard short of the goal line. Um uh, against right, the Rams. Right, right. So he was there for that, the whole Jeff Fisher Ram or Jeff Fisher Titans tenure. Then got the head coaching job, then went back to being a coordinator one year with Buffalo and had a really good year, but then Buffalo fired their head coach after that year. And then spent five years, I think, as coordinator with the Eagles. And 
you know, Chad, you just look at these numbers and they're just impressive. Like a lot of sacks, he's usually, uh, his units are led by a strong defensive line, um, good against the run. He's aggressive. You know, he likes a wide nine, which I think is good for Miles Garrett coming off the edge. Um, runs the four three, so there would not be, you know, you not need to have big time personnel overhaul there. And then he won the Super Bowl, you know, and those in his tenure with the Eagles is when they won the Super Bowl. So um a lot to like there. And I think to me, he's a really intriguing candidate. He's got some fire to him. And when you contrast that with Kevin Stefanski's, you know, even keel laid back personality, I think that could be a good fit. Brian Flores. Um, the former Dolphins head coach uh, got fired. He filed a racial discrimination lawsuit. Uh, you know, he went, he won, he had back-to-back winning seasons with the Dolphins, then gets fired. Nobody had done that in almost 20 years in Miami. Spent the last year uh, as an assistant in Pittsburgh. Highly respected. Spent a lot of time with Belichick. A lot of time in the 3-4, so there'd be some adjustment there. Um, but he's a fiery guy, too. I think players respect him. I'm intrigued by him as well. Um, you know, Mayo is a young guy. I don't think he's called plays. It's so tough to figure it out in New England because they, they don't usually name a defensive coordinator. Bill's secretive about everything, Bill Belichick. Um, we know Flory's called plays at some point with New England before he went to become the head coach. With Miami, I don't think Mayo has. And then Desai was a one-year defensive coordinator last year with the Bears. Um, they had a coaching change, so he wound up in Seattle. He's not from that Vic, Vic Fangio, um, you know, I, I think like coaching pedigree, you know, and that's now it's huge rage in the NFL. A lot of coaches are running that scheme. Um, he was there. He spent a long time with Chicago. So to me, he the last two guys are younger and seem, you know, like more of a more of a reach where Flores and Schwartz are established. All right, well, so looking at all of those factors and the names you just brought up, you're there every day. You kind of you have the, the pulse. Who do you think should be the guy, and do you want to see other moves made, or do you think this is all that needs to be done? Um, you know, I kind of like the idea of Schwartz, Chud, and for a couple reasons. I, I mentioned the personality, and I'm fine with Kevin Stefanski's even-keel nature, right? Like, I don't think that's – I know some fans don't like it. They see him on the sideline. They think he's too stoic. To me, I, I like that. I, I think you need to stay level-headed. So that doesn't bother me. But I, I do like the idea of adding, you know, a, a big voice, especially on defense, that's, that's a little counter to that. You know, I think a little yin and yang there. Um, and, not, and I think Flores would probably fit that as well. But Schwartz is known to have that personality. I, I used it in my story yesterday. I found this old story from the Philadelphia Inquirer when he started as coordinator there in 2016. And it said the, the like PR people moved the reporters away from Schwartz because they kept tweeting um, about him cussing at the players during drills because they'd screw up and he'd, you know, he'd be swearing at them. Um, and so, you know, it's not, it's not like he's the only coach in the NFL that does it. But um, that's a contrast to Stefanski, right? You just don't see that a lot out of out of Kevin. So I, I kind of like that. I really like the fact that he runs a 4-3. I, I don't think you can make the switch to the 3-4. Miles Garrett just would not fit the same way 
in a 3-4, which means if you hire a Flores or a Mayo, and even I think the size career has been a lot in a 3-4, um, then you have to make an adjustment. Either they have to adjust or you have to adjust. And not that that's impossible. Um, and, you know, and these coaches can adapt. Joe Woods had had some background in the 3-4-2, but um, went to the 4-3. Um, but I, I like the fact that Schwartz is a 4-3 guy or has been routinely a 4-3 guy. Uh, and he's had a bunch of success. So all those things lead me to really liking Schwartz right now when you look at these four known candidates. I'm not saying somebody else couldn't crop up. I'm not saying Brian Flores would be a bad hire. But um, just from a, you know, and I, who knows how Schwartz will mesh with Stefanski and Barry. But I would think he would fit well from just an outside perspective. When, for instance, you know, to talk about these guys being Ivy League, he went to Georgetown. He was an academic All-American. Um, I, I read a story that talked about he was an early analytics guy, right? Like, would rely on data to inform his decisions. And we know that the Browns rely heavily on that. So I, I, it feels like it would be a good fix or a good fit as long as personalities um, blended between Stefanski and Schwartz. Um, and then when you talk about other moves, you know, I'm a little bit torn on Mike Kiefer, special teams coordinator. They were special teams were really bad early, um, and then got better as the season went along. You know, I, I Kiefer's got a long resume; he's done this a long time. I, I don't know if they could find a better replacement, but if if he got fired, I could understand that. You know, as part of the hey. We need to make some significant changes. It wasn't good enough all season long. So we'll see how that plays out. And then you know, there's going to be other changes on the defensive staff, right? You don't hire a coordinator and say, we'll take the same guys that were here. Um, but you could have – Stefanski said he'd like to retain some of the defensive staff, and that'll be a combination with whoever he hires. They get together. They build a defensive staff. So you will see more moves. Um, to me, the big question is, do you see the move with Mike Kiefer? You think it's going to happen pretty quick? Well, you know, I, I really, I think I said, I, I thought it would have happened by now. So I, I expect. No, no, not, not oh, bad. Oh, the I'm hiring, sorry. The, I got you. The yeah, the, for, yeah, my bad. For yeah. defensive coordinator. You know what? I mean, all these guys that they're going to interview are available, right? Their teams aren't in the play, or except Seattle. Seattle's in the playoffs. Um, courtesy of that Green Bay loss, right? So outside of Seattle, um, the other three teams, you can go get their guys. So I, I think it could happen quick. Now, the X factor there is not only with Desai, but um, it, it, say there's another guy you like out there that is on a playoff team, right? Whether it's – it probably would be a coordinator, but, you know, a position coach or an assistant, um, could you wait? While the, the playoff run goes on, yes, you could do that. So that could hold it up. Um, but with these this early these early candidates, you know, if you fall in love, um, something could happen quick. Where are we at with the state of this team as far as, you know, the, the, it seems like no matter who's in charge, there's always there's always the, the black cloud hovering over, the drama. And, yeah. You know, the – Jadavian Clowney here at the end of the year, you know, I mean, it, it seems like it's always something. And obviously that story came out after we talked last week, but it was before the last game and they sent him home and, 
Oh man, what 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 is your take on the clowny situation? Yeah, let's go there first before we go a little wider view. Um, I think Clowney came out of this looking terribly. I thought his comments about being upset how he was used compared to Miles Garrett are silly. Um, uh, Miles Garrett's a better player than Jamie Clowney, and I don't think it's close. And I don't think Clowney recognizes that. And I get that players have inflated egos inflated opinions of themselves. You know, he did an interview with Jocena Anderson in training camp, and Clowney did. And I don't know if I saw it at the time or I happened to be, like, actually right, right there waiting to talk to somebody. So I heard him talk about how, hey, he's nobody's Robin, uh, you know, of the Batman-Robin metaphor. And I, th I found it interesting at the time, and I think it's still – I think it's really relatable now, relevant here. Um, he doesn't picture himself like that. So, therefore – when Joe Woods and D-line coach Chris Kiffin search for the favorable matchups for Miles Garrett, and that leaves less favorable matchups for Jadavian Clowney, and that by that I mean, you know, they line them up over the left tackle versus a right tackle, or line them up over a guard, whatever it is. And they're moving Miles Garrett around so he has a best chance to get to the quarterback. First of all, that makes all the sense in the world. That's what you are supposed to do. And I've heard Woods actually be criticized for not doing that enough. So for Clowney to go the other way and say they're favoring Miles Garrett, that they care more about getting Garrett into the Hall of Fame than winning games, I think that's ludicrous. And it also, you know, Garrett Clowney's kind of saying, well, go beat your man. Well, then go beat your man. You're still at a chance to pass to rush against somebody. Go beat the left tackle. And he didn't do that enough. Now I thought Clowney played pretty well this year. He only had two sacks. I thought he played better than that. And I thought he played hard, which to me is sometimes a question with him. He's battled injuries. Um, you know, he's kind of a weird dude, um, mercurial guy. And I thought he played hard even late in the year. Um, but you can't be saying this publicly. And what's even worse is it comes out, he admits to Mary Kay, right? Mary Kay Cabot of Cleveland.com. He told her, um, all these complaints, and that's why he wound up getting, you know, de facto suspended at the end of the for the final three days. Um, so he makes it public that against the Ravens, the first matchup against the Ravens, he came out. They said you're going to go against the left tackle. Miles Garrett's going to go against the right tackle. Clowney didn't like it, so at some point in the first half, he said, "I'm not going to play on first and second down." Now he said he was kind of hurting, like he gave an excuse, but then was okay to go in on third down. And then it comes, then Chris Kevin gets to the bottom of it. So he refuses to play first and second down. How can, so I, that's all of, to me, all of it's a terrible look about Jadavion Clowney. And I think it's the next person it's a bad look for is Andrew Barry, the GM, because he always wanted Clowney. He chased him, finally lands him in 2021. Clowney resurrects his career, nine sacks, plays 15 games, healthy as can be. But he, but he was around the building for a year. And I talked to people. You could tell, talk, look, just why, observing that Clowney's different. And I don't know if he's got the buy-in that is required for one of your top players. And, you know, it feels like a little mercenary, right? Like, he'll go to the highest bidder, and he signs in May, so he doesn't have to go through a lot of the offseason program. And the Browns said, okay, we'll bring him back. 
for $10 million a year. And I felt like he peaked in 2021, and you were taking a gamble on the field and off the field in 2022. And it, it came back to bite the Browns. It did with the Ravens thing and then the comments to Mary Kay that blew up at the end of the season. So um, I think they kind of brought it upon themselves. But I, I do think Jadavion Clowney just comes out of this looking back. Remind everyone what his contract situation is. Yeah, he's done. It was a one-year, ten million dollar deal. With you could, he could have gotten another million in incentives. Um, so he's a free agent, and you know, there's no way I would expect him to come back, right? I mean, how could you yeah. come back from this? Um, you know, maybe the Woods thing changes it, but I, I doubt it. I just, I think it's a terrible look. Um, let me ask you this, Chug. Like, just because you have this kind of outlier. I know it feeds into the long-time narrative about the Browns. Um, like, like, do you feel this is just another sign of, you know, like long-time dysfunction, I guess? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I was actually just about to follow up and, and say the way you just answered that, I started thinking and listening to you, and I started thinking, is it really the Browns' fault on this one? And is this part of the overall? Because I'm thinking if they were winning – this probably doesn't happen, right? I mean, isn't this part of, you know, what happens when you're losing? Or is this guy so out there that even if they went, were winning, he would have done this? Uh, I don't know if he would have done it when they were winning. I, I would think no. Right? I would think, right. you know, I would think it's mostly losses. I do know just from talking to his teammates, they really felt like it was a frustration of two sacks, um, you know, not having the type of year he wanted. So I think you combine all that together. But yeah, I'm kind of conflicted when I think about, like, obviously the Browns have had plenty of long periods of dysfunction where they couldn't get anything right. I don't know if every isolated yeah. incident falls under that umbrella. And to me, this feels more isolated. This feels like one guy, kind of rogue, um, different personality. I, 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 I'm yeah. just kind of reluctant to say – Oh, my gosh, this is another one of those examples. And I get it. And the fact is, there were disciplinary issues this year, right? There's no doubt about it. You had Garrett, you know, I mean, the car accident, whether or not that – you can't blame the organization for that. But, he, you know, he didn't play the first three game, first three snaps against the Saints, violation of team rules. Grant Dalpit for one snap, the Miami game. Perrin Winfrey, they sat him down for the entire Jets game, right? So – you, you did have that, and I do think that at some levels a reflection on on Joe Woods, the coordinator, also Kevin Spansky, the coach. Also, you know, Andrew Barry, he collected this group of talent. Um, but I, I thought uh, Clowney just felt so much worse and, to me, is kind of like a different case. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. And, and, that, and that maybe could have been a lazy question or the way I brought it up, too, and uh, I, that's an easy thing for Browns fans or the media to do to lump it all together. So I, I give you credit for kind of seeing that out and pointing that out. I think you might be right. You can't just lump everything in. And let's be honest, every team has their issues. I mean, Stefanski said it the other day, as boring as it is, as cliche as it is, every family has their issue. So you can't just lump it in. I, I think that's good work out of you to kind of to go there with that. And And I tend to agree. Again, doesn't it doesn't – here's the problem is it doesn't justify everything 
right? right? And you pointed that out. But I think at the end of the day, you're just looking at a franchise that, man, finally went back to the playoffs. They get rid of the quarterback who took them there. And I'm not yeah. saying they were wrong to do that. I'm not saying they were – I'm just saying, sure. outside looking in, it's incredible that you have a franchise finally go back to the playoffs. The guy that got them there is gone. You pay all this money to bring in another guy who brings baggage. And now you wonder, is this guy going to take you to where you need to go? And that brings me to my next yeah. question. Well, I had me, to write a – I wrote a piece Monday morning just to – go ahead. Let me stop you real quick, Judd, because I do want to get into this. I, I just yeah, wanted to make yeah. this point before I forgot. I, I do think there's a bit of a chicken and an egg thing with is there, is there drama and complaints because you're losing or it, do you have kind of this culture that creates the drama and complaints? If, if I'm making sense. Like Kevin Stefanski will tell you, if we were winning games, all this other stuff would fade away. And the Browns haven't won enough. Sure. For, for, the Browns haven't won enough for me to be able to say if that's true or not, right? But I do think there is something to be said for that, that if a couple games go your way and you're in the playoffs, maybe Clowney's not the pain in the butt, right? Maybe, what, you know, whatever issues crop up, that, you know, that tend to crop up when you're losing, right? John Johnson says, you know, we need more commitment, right? Like all those things, a lot of those things are searching for reasons you're losing and how can we get better? Where if you're actually winning games, that stuff kind of fades away. I think people, if you're unhappy in your role, you have less reason to be unhappy because you're winning, right? So I, I think there's a little chicken in the egg. I think it's all combined. Um, and it doesn't mean these aren't issues. But it, I, I think it means the spotlight on these issues is so much sharper because not only are you losing now, but you've lost so, for so long that it kind of feeds upon itself. Yeah, no, that's good analyzation there. Um, what I was about to go into was I did a small little piece, a story on Monday morning, instead of just recap the Steelers game, basically is like, the premise was how sh how should you feel as a Browns fan right now after the season comes okay. to an end? There's a, I said there's a lot of words you could come up with, right? And a lot of yeah. words that we can't repeat. But I wanted to come up with a different word, one that just wasn't obvious, like, you know, pissed off or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the word I used was confused. Scott, I'm confused. And I think that's the word I think Browns fans should feel right now, confused. You have a head coach that was coach of the year and not two losing seasons. Is he to lead this team? The quarterback, you spent all this money on this guy. And I got to tell you, Scott, you saw signs of it. But in six games, I would have liked to have seen more and given me more of a, a thought that this is going to work out. I, I'm, and then the defense, obviously, confused us all year long. How do you feel about my word choice, confused? Yeah, I'm good with that. I, I am. Um you can probably pile on, you know, worried, um, uncertain, right? Which are probably yeah. all ties together because I, 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 we've talked about this. Sean, I think we probably both agreed that at some point Watson's going to return to the player he was, right? The three-time Pro Bowler um, led the league in passing in 2020. I, I know I thought that we would see more of that in these final six games. And maybe it was – Maybe I was naive to think how much effect the rust would have, right, the 700 days between starts. I knew that it would take some time. I didn't think it would take all six games. 
I didn't think against, you know, in the finale that he would still look uncomfortable in the pocket at times. And, you know, part of that goes to the Steelers' credit because uh, they, you know, they rush the passer and they play good defense. Um, but he didn't look he didn't look great against the Steelers. There's no, you know, I'm not telling anything anybody didn't know. Um, right? And it wasn't just the two interceptions. I thought he had a hard time figuring out where to go with the ball. Either when he had time to throw, he couldn't find anybody and he looked hesitant. And then other times he didn't have time to throw. I think, you know, he still leaves the pocket a little too early and is trying to extend plays too long and it leads to sacks. Um, so my point is, I expected him to be better at some point over these final six games. He said that at the end of the season, he said that was unrealistic. He knew he wasn't going to play like an MVP. Um, he almost sounded okay with being three and three, right? And the talk was, man, can they go five and one and get in the playoffs? And, <laughs> you know, right? Right. And he kind of felt yeah, like yeah. three and three was, you know, kind of reasonable. Not that he was satisfied with that, but um, so maybe we looked at that the wrong way. But what happens is we're the season's over and you haven't seen Deshaun Watson take over a game. You haven't seen him lead a fourth quarter comeback to win a game. You haven't seen the him mesh with Kevin Stefanski's play calling. You see glimpses of brilliance. You see some designed runs. You see some RPOs. You see him hit Amari Cooper for a couple of touchdowns against Washington. But it's not sustained, and it feels like there's still this – it feels like it's a work in progress, him and him – with Kevin Stefanski in this offensive system. And I want to talk about this, whether we do it today or later, at some point in the offseason, I want to talk about how the offense is going to evolve going into next year. Um, yeah. But your point about the fans is, okay, so if, if when they traded for him, put all the off-field stuff aside, if you can do that. When they traded for him, it was, they got a franchise quarterback. He's going to be awesome. And, that's going to give them a chance to compete with the best teams in the AFC, right? I, I think it's fair to say it's confusing after a year with Watson and six games, but a year of all of it in six games, it's confusing. And it's, I think there's questions whether or not we're going to see that in 2023. Obviously, well, I want to feel that way, but I, I want to go. Questionable. I want to go back, though. You said, though, that you feel pretty confident we are going to see the old Deshaun Watson, right? And I am. Okay, but here's my – and here's where I'm going to push back a little bit. We talked about this uh, before the season, and we questioned whether we would ever get that guy again. And let me bring up a few things here, all right? Number one, uh, you know, he's in a different system, all right? It's not the same system. He's playing in cold weather half the time. Whereas he used to play half his games yeah. in a dome. Do we know for sure he's going to, you know, eventually do well in all of those things I just mentioned? Plus, sure. he's he's got the money. And how do we really know how much all of this is worn on him mentally? Right. Is this the same person that he was before this? And then you don't play for 700 days. So I'm not saying he's not going to be the old Deshaun Watson. But boy, I'll tell you, there's a lot of reasons right there that make you wonder if he will. He could. I hope he does, yeah. but we don't know for sure. No, that's that's 100% correct, Chad. And of all those things you mentioned, I, I would rank my list of concerns, right? What's going to keep him from getting to the player he was? I would start with number one would be the mental aspect, right? That's a lot to deal with. Whether or not 
he brought it all upon himself, right? It's still he's he can't be in the same headspace that he was in 2019 and 2020 before all the accusations, before the trade. That's a lot that he's had to go through. And I, I hate saying had to go through because, you know, it certainly feels like he brought it upon himself. But he's gone through a lot. And is he able to put that aside, put that behind him, um, and get to where he needs to be from a mental standpoint? That's To me, that's the biggest question. And I don't know when we're going to know that answer. We, I certainly don't think we know that now. Um, number – but – you know, he says he will, and, uh, you know, I, I, it's just, it's too nebulous, right? But he thinks he will. Um, next to me is the system. And at the end of the year, he said it's going to look totally different next year. I think I asked him about play calls and style. You know, how different it's going to look next year? And he goes, it's going to look totally different. And he said he was going to sit down and have a man-to-man talk with Kevin Stefanski about the future of this offense. Um, and we, like I said, you saw adjustments, you saw a little few RPOs, you saw some quarterback runs, you saw some zone read, but it's going to look a lot different. And, you know, I think Stefanski's open to that, but then you got to get to the point where you find that balance between run and pass, between what Watson wants and what Stefanski thinks is necessary, right? Like you, you have to find that balance in, if it's a bunch of changes, then it's, I think the changes are more on. Stefanski's part than on Watson's part. So Stefanski's going to have to overhaul or at least adjust, adapt his system to what Watson is really good at. And they're going to try to blend them, and that's a question mark. But when it comes to arm strength and the ability to throw and the ability to run, I think all of that is still there. And that's why, and even decision-making, right? He was a good decision-maker with the Texans. He didn't throw a lot of interceptions. Um, so, and he could, you know, extend plays and all, all those things, right? And he had deep plays and we didn't see any really deep shots, um, this with him, really any big time explosive plays in his final six games. I think those things will come back. I think, you know, the arm and the legs and like, I think that's there. And if you have that, if you have that skill set combined with strong decision-making on field, strong decision-making. That's why I still think he gets back to the player he was. Doesn't mean he will, but that's why I think he will. Mm -hmm. Bring everyone up to speed. You talked about the conversation he had with Stefanski. Yeah. You know, yeah. what exactly went down there and what are your thoughts about that? Like, how did you kind of read into that whole deal? Yeah, actually, he said they were going to have one. They'd met Monday, but they were going to sit down again and have a man-to-man. -man. Uh, I think it was scheduled for Tuesday. Here, here's what I Chuck, to me, it was... It was Watson staking a claim to this offense in this organization. He talked about, you know, how he's going to become the leader of this team and how he couldn't really do that because he only played six games and he was in and out of the building. I really felt like there was a change in, I don't know, persona, attitude, at least messaging from Watson when we talked to him Monday in – that's from the, yeah, I'm taking ownership of this team in this offense. And him, for him to say we're going to sit down man-to-man, -man, it, it almost felt like, you know, like when a dad says I'm going to sit down with my kid, right? Like 
And then he, he quickly said, hey, I'm not saying this in a negative in a negative yeah, way. That's right? kind of why I was bringing it up. Yeah, I, like, I wanted your take on it. Yeah, yeah, like he wanted to stop that, but he knew that it, how it sounded. And it certainly came across like that. Um, so I, I think it was going to be a serious talk about, hey, we need to do what, you know, and I'm just going to draw out options. We need to do more shotgun. We need to, you know, I want to run more of this. I want to, you know, we need better receivers. I need a second tight end that I trust more. Like, I, I think it's, all-encompassing i think it's roster i think it's play calls i think it's system and i I think that watson now has been here long enough and you know when he gets traded he can't come in and make any demands right he can't be a forceful presence he's got all the off-field stuff you know he's going to be suspended he just wasn't in any place to do anything like that and i think now with the backdrop that he has a fully guaranteed contract that you know, he's got a lot of power in this organization. And I think we started to see that with how he talked on Monday and it's going to, and I'm not even saying he shouldn't have a big role or an input or significant input. I just think that's the reality of the situation when the Browns gave up what they gave up and agreed to pay you that kind of money. You got a lot of power. And I think he is ready to kind of exert some of that. And until his contract's up or he fails completely, he's probably the most powerful guy under the Haslam's in that building, right? I mean, that's exactly Chuck, that's a fantastic point. And, you know, I've talked with this about this with guys on the beat. Like, you can make, if you just want to be like pragmatic about it, you could say he's got all the control when it comes to him and Kevin Stefanski, like in a power structure, right? The Haslam's can fire Kevin ha- Kevin Stefanski and pay him whatever he's getting paid, whatever it is, like six, eight, whatever, whatever millions of dollars Stefanski's getting paid, right? Like they can make that move and they're done with it. it you, they, they have no recourse with Deshaun Watson. They're paying him whatever it is, $46 million a year. Um, like they're, they're going to have to pay him. And – if he says trade me or get a new coach, like the odds are there's a new coach coming to town. Like that's the reality of this kind of a contract and that kind of a decision. And it, it'll be fascinating to see how the plays out because Watson has said he came here. One of the major reasons he came here was because of Stefanski. He watched the cutups and thought I can succeed in that offense. So I, I do think there's some sincerity to that. Which we talked about a couple weeks ago we and pointed out that's how we kind of knew Stefanski was safe. If we, if there was any reason to think he could go when he had Watson's backing. And, but I got to tell you, you know, we've seen the, the, the stress that goes on these NFL coaches. Boy, if I'm Kevin Stefanski, I, I got to be thinking, man, that kind of trying to think of the word. Uh, I don't know if it's pressure, but is that some, is that a little bit of uneasiness to know that, you know, you're you're looking over your shoulder a little bit? I think so, for sure. Now, you know, this isn't the only situation like that in the league, right? No. There's there's quarterbacks, you know, Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, probably, you know. I mean, the big-time quarterbacks making big-time money have an awful lot to say uh, on a lot of things. But it, it is uneasy, and it's especially uneasy when you go from a young quarterback like Baker Mayfield on a rookie contract, Right. Like, Stefanski had all the power in that situation. Um, you, but you're a young coach, first time, 
You've had two losing seasons in a row. I think that all combines. Now, you know, I'm sure Kevin Spansky would tell you, hey, if we win, then Deshaun Watson will be happy. And my goal is to make him happy and make him successful because that's best for me. But I, I do think there is a human element and a reality to that power structure like we talked about. Yeah. All right, two more things, uh, and then I think we're good here. Yeah. Uh, just anything you want to bring up uh, from more from the Barry press conference, uh, Stefanski's uh, last time you heard from him. Um, you know, I, I heard Barry just say they need, need to find the right mix. They have to share responsibility, kind of things that we've heard before. Um, so kind of that, and, and, and do you think there's any damage right now in, in that locker room? Um, no, I, I think the locker room – will be okay. okay. I think I, I think it's it will be interesting to see who that new defensive coordinator is and how that changes the dynamic of the defense because I do think there were we talked about the discipline issues. There are obviously communication issues on and off the field, right? Um the clowny thing and I are you know I talked about him being a different a different cat, but maybe there is something to be said for hey if he really felt this upset about how he was being used it could have been handled differently before he sits first and second down right before he goes to a reporter and talks about it like maybe if the communication were overall better in the locker room in the organization between players and coaches maybe that could have been avoided along with you know kind of the other things that have the minor things that have popped up and so you got the communication you got it feels like a little bit of a lack of leadership. I know Miles Garrett has tried to be more vocal, which goes against his personality a little bit. Um, do they have that other guy, that big-time leader? And, and I'm not sure Joe Woods was that guy. So maybe the new coordinator is. Maybe they go find another defensive end or D-tackle, whoever it is, that can fill in that role. And I think that's where Andrew Barry talked about the mix, right? There was just something missing from – all of it, leadership, communication, discipline, personality standpoint, all of it combined, there's just something wasn't right, and that helped contribute to the losses. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up. The, the other thing about the, fan, about the Barry press conference, you know, he, gets, he keeps getting asked about analytics. And I understand it's a hot-button issue. I'm not sure it should be. And, you know, he, he, can, you know, he answers the questions the same way, like, hey, it's – it's just about data. We want as much data as we can get, and we want to apply that data to the to the decisions we make. And it's not all about the data, right? That's just part uh, – it goes – it plays a part in our decision-making. Now, I think it's – I think it's true that it plays a bigger part in the Browns' decision-making than it does with other organizations, right? They're heavy in analytics. There's no, they're not arguing that. And he says, you know, we know it's not a silver silver bullet. But I, I think it's wrong for every time there's a mistake, every time they miss on a fourth down or don't go kick a field goal and go for a touchdown, like I, I, I think it's counterproductive to just blame analytics, right? Like there's nothing wrong with using data, right? People use data. Other teams, the Eagles and the Ravens, two successful organizations, are with the Browns in using analytics most in the NFL. So certainly the Browns have misapplied analytics throughout their tenure, throughout the Deep Podesta, Sashi Brown, Andrew Berry, right? Since there's been a switch, 
it hasn't always been applied correctly. And the example that jumps to my head is Cody Kessler should not have been a third-round draft pick, right, the quarterback out of USC. And I think the analytics they were using at the time really played into that, and obviously that was a big mistake. But when you decide to go for it on fourth down, like, I have no problem with that, right? There's numbers that play into that. And I think for fans and some media members just to say it's all analytics and you're relying too much on it and Paul DePodesta's calling the plays, like, I don't think all of that is accurate or true. And I think we should just quit as a, you know, I think the fan base and maybe part of the media should just quit blaming anything that goes wrong on this reliance on analytics. Well, it's funny. I had analytics as one of my last things I was going to ask. Uh, I mean, does that make so sense? You brought it up, but I think at the end of the day, what? well, it does, but, but here's the thing. Until they start winning, it's going to get questioned, right? When you're, yeah. when you're a team, a franchise, it does it more as much or more than anyone. Right. So yeah. until it, it, you know, until it's proven that it can help them get to the playoffs, yeah, I mean that. Yeah, I mean you're not wrong there, but I think there's other reasons they're not getting to the playoffs, right? Like I don't think what's holding them back is the analytics focus. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say is, you know, yeah, you know, like they 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 missed on Austin Hooper, and they might have missed on um, John Johnson the third in free agency, and we still don't know about Jedrick Wills and Grant Delpit fully, right? And Anthony Schwartz has been a bust, like. Those are bad decisions. Now, if if the reason they made those decisions is all analytics, well, then yeah, then you can blame analytics. But it's not just like this computer spitting out something, right? Andrew Barry's looking at the offensive tackles and says, this is my offensive tackle I'm going to take, right? This is the free agent I'm going to sign. And I, I guess the point is it's not all – more goes into decision than just some number crunch. And, um, you know, even on game days, like going forward on fourth down, like I really do think if you took a step back, I, I think there's reasons that make sense for some of those decisions. Now, this isn't every decision. And, yes, you have to use instinct and you have to have a feel for the game. I'm not arguing that. And we, it could be accurate that the Browns rely too heavily on that at certain times. I, I just don't like how the narrative has become because I, I think it makes I, – I just don't like that narrative. I, I think it's too simple. Yeah. No, I think you just backed up your point pretty well right there. Well said. All right. Uh, I guess let's finish on this, and it's what we usually talk about first, but uh, not surprised at all. I, I want to uh, – I want to bring something up here in a second of uh, next time we talk on the pod yeah. of what I want to uh, have a topic with you. Yeah. Um, kind of, I want to reflect on the season uh, with picking games and, and how we ended up. So we both ended up nine and eight. So we were above 500. Um, so <laughs> thank goodness. Right. Cause it was right. not looking good there at the end. Uh, Brown seven and 10 were nine and eight. Neither records. Great. I don't know if I'd feel much better if the Browns were 98, to be honest with you. I, I feel like, you know, yeah, obviously a winning record would have been nice, but uh, not making the playoffs. But the bottom line is, you know, we're looking for much more out of this team. But we get the last game right. I think that was, you know, <laughs> I, don't, I think that was a layup, Scott. I think, <laughs> it, I think picking the Steelers was uh, a no-brainer. I just didn't – I. 
any way the Browns are going to win that game. Uh, I think a lot of people probably with the new uh, FanDuel, DraftKings, and all that probably could have made some good amount of money on this one. It just it never felt like before the game, during the game, that they were going to win. I know that it started out okay in the first half, but, uh, again, I'm just going on and on here, and I don't think we need to break this game down too much, but oh, no. uh, it's pretty much how we thought it would go, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I thought it would be closer. Um I thought the Browns would play hard. I thought the Browns – I thought Watson would have an edge over Kenny Pickett, and that's why I thought it would be closer. It turns out, you know, I didn't think Pickett was great, but he made some big throws, um, especially on some key drives. And Watson's two interceptions turned into 10 points. And the game really swung at the end of the second half, beginning of the third quarter. Browns got within six and then couldn't get off the field on third down in that fourth quarter drive by the Steelers. So – you know, Steelers had something to play for. Browns didn't. I, th- I still thought the Browns played hard. They just didn't have any answers for the Steelers. They didn't have a lot of answers for the Steelers' defense. From a pass rush perspective, you know, Watson was harassed all day, sacked seven times. Um, I don't think they found – did a great job finding the balance between run and pass, right? Chubb was having some success, but they thought they would be better off spreading out the Steelers and throwing it, and it, and it just didn't work. So um, – yeah, those are my biggest takeaways from that Steeler game. Was there much brought up about Chubb's usage in the post post game or anything? Because I know people talk yeah. about that every week, but I have to be honest, I don't even care that he did. I mean, what what if he would have run the ball twenty five times and got hurt? You know, I mean, right, I, right. I just I I know you wanted to beat the Steelers and ruin their playoff chances and everything, but you know, I don't know. Is it what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I I would have played him as long as he was open to playing. I would have played him. They played all. They played just all their starters. Um, and we've talked about. I like usually. I don't disagree that much with the run pass balance, and and I think it's going to go. I think it's going to skew even more toward the pass next season. Right, that's part of having a big time quarterback and a highly paid quarterback like Deshaun Watson. So I think fans are going to have to brace for that. Um, but having said that, you know. Chubb was average like six and a half yards a carry. It felt weird when Watson's getting killed um, at quarterback, right? He's getting pressured a lot. Can't figure it out through the air. Why not call more runs? Like, I, I did wonder that. And I think I asked Stefanski about it. I know I asked Joel Batonio about it. And, you know, Batonio took lo- – and I'm going to write a story about it this week at some point. He's really taking this losing season hard, right? He feels he's getting older opportunities are dwindling um it's hit him hard and it hit him hard um after the Steelers game and he just lately he's felt more down than normal after a loss not that he always doesn't take a loss hard but it feels like it's hitting him harder so I asked him about the run passing and he said and it and he didn't like rip the play calling but when he was asked about Deshaun Watson getting pressured he's like well when you drop back to throw as much as we did that's gonna happen right and then he said something about Nick Chubb getting a 1,500 yards. He's like, that's great because he didn't really have a lot of opportunities. So he also said that, you know, they have had success against the Steelers in the past, spreading them out and throwing, and that's a game plan that they wanted to use. But I think within the course of the game, Batonio would have liked to see more runs. And I don't know if it would have changed the outcome, but I think they should have too. I think Chubb should have gotten a few more carries. Um and I question that, especially with how much pressure Watson was under every – not every time he dropped back, but a lot of times when he dropped back to pass. Yeah. 
Well, he's probably looking at Joe Thomas and being like, oh, exactly. Boy. That's know? exactly right. Yeah, he said they've had those kind of discussions. Like, I did all I could, and it didn't matter. So, um, you know, but Tony's one of the best guys there is to talk to. So I just want to get into that a little deeper um, in a story over the next few days. All right, that's it for me. You got anything else? I yeah. think we hit it all. We did. Uh, real quick, you got any um, You got any games you're really looking forward to this weekend? We got the oh, playoffs yeah. open? Yeah, let's go over that. Um, so I think the two hardest games for me to pick are the Cowboys-Buccaneers mm. on Monday night. I think that's one of the most difficult ones because I think the Cowboys are the better team. But Tampa Bay's at home, and you can never – it's so hard to bet against Tom Brady. Yep. So that one is a tough one. And then the other one that I think is tough, Giants-Vikings. Yeah. Because the, the Vikings are, you know, well, right now it's negative three. Uh, it was They're two and a half. Three. Yeah. They're favored by three, yeah. That's, that's what I meant, favored by three. So I, that, that those are the two tough ones for me. Um, start out, I think, um, if you want to, you want to go winners in each game. Yeah, why not? All right, we'll start out with the first one: 49ers Seahawks, four thirty to open up things on Saturday. I don't think there's much debate here. Uh, 49ers, whether they cover or not, right. nine and a half. That's the question. But I, I got Niners for sure. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, I, I'm taking the Niners. That seems like a lot of points. Um, you know, and I know Purdy's playing great, but rookie quarterback first. Playoff game, maybe Seattle keeps it close for a while. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the 49ers win. They're playing really well. Okay. Night game, Saturday, prime time. Uh, I think that one's on NBC. Let me look okay. here. Let me, let me give a plug to my station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It there is. There you go. That's NBC. Chargers. Looks like Chargers are now favored by two and a half. Okay. It's in Jacksonville. Jacksonville wiped them out earlier in the year. Yeah. And Jacksonville had that must-win game. I, You know, I'm going to go Chargers, and I'm going to – part of the reason is I think the Jags probably, you know, I'm trying to think of the way to say this, but they put out so much emotion in having to win that game to get in the playoffs. And at the end of the day, they're still the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the, yeah. the Chargers in that one. Yeah, to me, this is the third game when you mentioned the – Dallas in the Giants games. To me, this yep. is the, the third hardest game kind of to pick. Um, Agree. And probably the point spread points to that. I, I, I thought I, – I like the Chargers. I really like Justin Herbert. Um, but, you know, on the road, it's a long trip. Like, I, I think there's a couple things to be concerned about. It's a shorter week, right, Sunday yeah. to Saturday. Or, yeah, Sunday to Saturday for the Chargers. Jackson played Saturday, so it's a full week for them. Um, I still like the Chargers, but I think this is a game to keep an eye on. I, I thought Trevor Lawrence has to play better, though. Against the Titans, he missed two wide-open throws in the end zone that I thought were going to come back and cost them that game in a trip to the playoffs. And then it wound up not mattering because the defense made enough plays. But he needs to play a lot better to keep up with um, Justin Herbert because I think Herbert's going to play great. So you're going Chargers? I am taking Chargers, but I think it's an interesting game. Yep. Okay, so we're both Niners, both Chargers. Bills, Dolphins, I mean, come on. Oh, I, I don't, I, the Dolphins, I got to be honest, Scott. I, I, 
I don't even want to say this, but I mean, I'm not saying I want Pittsburgh in the playoffs by any means, <laughs> but I would rather see a team like the Steelers and the way they were playing in the playoffs yeah. as opposed to the Dolphins and the way they're playing. Does that make sense? Oh, like, yeah, I mean, makes- they don't have a quarterback. They won 11-6 to get in the playoffs, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. I- I'm with you. And it- it's amazing. A few things are amazing, right? Number one, how things change in the NFL. How and how important it looks like Tua is to this team, but people yeah. were—I mean, people were ready to call like Mike McDaniel the next Bill Belichick. And I'm not saying he won't be. And I do think there's—he's really smart and he does a lot of things really well. And we saw a lot of that when they wiped the floor with the Browns coming out of the bye week. But it, it, I guess it just goes to show you better have some players, right? I don't care how smart you are as a coach. You better have some players, and you better have a quarterback that can execute your system. And without Tua, it's not happening with the Dolphins. And I think they're 13-point dogs. Yeah. You could probably make it 18, and I think I would take the Bills. I, I agree. I'm going to I'm gonna go Bills and they cover. And and that line shot up way more after the, we knew for sure Tua wasn't playing. I don't even know if it was out there for gamblers or not before Tua, but I, I did see a lower line. But, all right, so okay. we're both with Bills. All right. I've gone first on the first three, but we're in a we agree on all three so far. Yeah. I'll let you go first on the next three, and uh, <laughs> two of those three are the, <laughs> are the tough ones. So we'll go uh, the middle game on Saturday. So the Dolphins Bills one are on Sunday. Dolphins yeah. Bills is at one on Sunday. Giants at the Vikings four thirty on Sunday. Yeah, I I like the Giants here. Um, you know, and I I'm sure they're the underdog. I don't know what this. Did you say this is three point spread? Um, yeah, the, the the Vikings have had such a weird year where yeah. every game is close. They need to pull something out at the end. Um, you know, Kirk Cousins, I probably like him better than some people do, but you still have questions about him. It, it, I think Brian Dayball is, you know, who I knew well from his time in Cleveland, his uh, offensive coordinator. He's done an outstanding job there. Um, I think they figure out a way to get it done. I, and I don't think they're as talented, and I, they probably get smoked in round two. Um, but give me the Giants in this game. Yeah, and I don't disagree with you. And I have, I think this might be the one I, I'm going back and forth on the most. I, I do a picks thing with some buddies, and I, I'm really struggling on this one. I've gone back and forth, but I, I think I'm going to go Vikings, and I'm going to disagree with you, but not by a lot. And I, I think this is, you know, I, I think you could be right, but I'm going to go with the home team here. And there's not a team besides maybe the Bills and losing those four Super Bowls in a row and not being able to win one. Is there a team that disappoints their fans more than the Vikings? And and oh, no. and by that, we know the Browns and Lions are like the worst two, you know, when it comes to you know how their product is, but. The Vikings are good a lot, and they just right. always disappoint their fans, right? Well, and they tend to do it in like crazy ways, right? Like did they go and what? Start really in crazy ways where they missed a bunch of yeah. field goals, like heartbreaking, heartbreaking, heartbreaking ways to lose big games. Yeah, yes, the yep. franchise is just cursed. But I and I think they will eventually blow it. But I'm going to go with them at home and pulling out the win. I don't know if they'll cover or not, but uh, I think. They'll find a way. Just Justin Jefferson will bounce back, and uh, I think they'll have a. Uh, think that I don't know if I'll call it an offensive explosion, but I just think their offense will be too much. So I'm going to go Vikings on that one. Right, Next up, that. 
Yeah. Next one is uh, also on NBC Sunday Night Football. Bengals and Ravens. We're just going to verify that. Yep. yep. Okay. Baltimore, so NBC's, NBC's got uh, – uh, yeah, did I say it was at the wrong spot? No, 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 no. I was just saying yeah. it. Okay. Yeah, so I'm looking at a couple things here on my phone. Uh, Saturday night and Sunday night on NBC. That's cool. Yes, yeah, so NBC's got two games this weekend. So, you know, with this format now, you have a Monday night game and you have right. more games, right? Because you have an yeah. added wildcard team. So, you got two games on NBC, Sunday night football, Ravens, Bengals. Bengals favored what I'm looking at, eight and a half. Uh, I think we're probably both going to agree on this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Bengals win. Lamar's not going to play, it looks like. Um Huntley is banged up if he plays the backup quarterback. Uh, I, I just think Cincinnati's too good, and I, you know, you don't have Ravens are hard. They have a hard time scoring without Lamar. I mean, we saw it here, right? The Browns held them to three points that one, you know, on December seventeenth, that Saturday game. So, give me Cincinnati. You know, eight and a half. I, I think I'm gonna. I think I would give it. The question is, you know, Ravens are good defensively. Um, you know, I think they played him even hard. They played him Sunday, right? And I think they played him pretty tough defensively Sunday. I just think, I just think Joe Burrow and the Bengals are too much, and I would probably give the points. Yeah, I agree with you. So, okay. uh, so we're on the same page on four out of five so yeah. far. We both take the Bengals. So that leaves the last game Monday night. That's Cowboys at Buccaneers, and right now, the Cowboys on the road, the favorite. Two and a half. Yeah, I see that. I mean, I understand why that is, right? Um, Tampa won the terrible NFC South. Um, do they even get? Do they even get above five hundred? Bucks. Let me look real quick. Um, or eight, 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 eight and nine. nine, right? So not even above five hundred. Um, so that's why it's you know that's why Dallas is favored, right? Dallas finished twelve and five. Um, I, I think this is a tough one, though. Because Dallas has had letdowns in the playoffs, right? We've seen that time and again where everybody's high on Dallas and they wind up losing. Did you see him last week? Right. We're right. I, I mean, I, I didn't see the game, but I heard about you know, read about it. Um, it's Tom Brady, right? They played a little better lately. Mike Evans had that big game at the end of the year when they needed the, to come back to beat Carolina to clinch the division. So I, I think this is a tough one. I'm going to go Dallas. And I'm saying that because throughout the year, I kept thinking Tampa Bay was going to figure it out and be able to score more than it did. And it just never really figured it out until that Carolina game. And I just don't know if that's enough. I don't know if that they're going to be able to continue that. Um, it just, they just, they're having some offensive line injury problems. So Brady doesn't have a ton of time. It, they just couldn't get – they just weren't explosive offensively, and I don't think they're going to be able to score enough to keep up with Dallas. Yeah, it's, it's tough to disagree with you. And, I, I again, this is the toughest one. But I'm going to go Tampa Bay. Right. So we're, we're different on this. And I'm just, I keep trying to search for a factor of what pushes me over, and I, I just – you know, Tampa's at home, and I, I, I'm going to go, and I know it's not the Tom Brady that we are accustomed to, but, he, you know, he can still get it done. And at the end of the day, I don't trust Dak. Yeah. So that's the difference maker for me. So I'm going to go uh, 
I'm going to go uh, Tampa Bay, but man, the confidence level is not high. No, and and I get that, Chud. You know, and it's tough because, like, right? I mean, each game is its own entity. But how many times have we seen a home underdog in the playoffs win in this first round? It happens a lot, right? You send the, you think, oh man, this team is so good, this wild card team, and it goes on the road and loses. And I, I remember. I think it happened with New Orleans went to Seattle one year and everybody liked New Orleans and Seattle wins. I think it happened Pittsburgh, Denver that one year with Tebow. I, I think that was a similar situation. Like it just feels like there's a game or two like that a year where the home underdog that won a crap division wins a game. And I'm looking at Jacksonville and Tampa Bay going, well, is one of those teams going to do it? And I said no, but I could certainly see it happening. Do you want to uh, pick a Super Bowl? Do you want to oh, – I mean, have you thought about that? I, ha- I really have not. Yeah. Give me another week. Well, you're going to have uh, all these teams <laughs> gone. Well, I'm not... Okay, fair enough. Well, all right. Well, here, here's, I mean... All right. Uh, let, let's just discuss it for a second because I, right. I – uh, not to mention, uh, you know, those – if I brought this up before on, on the podcast, I got the, I got the mini helmets. Yes, we picked yes, those yes, here yes, with my yes. kids. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, it's a random draw, but it's so much fun, man. My girls get into it. My wife, my wife, and my two daughters and I, we each pick, and uh, whoever whoever has the Super Bowl champ random draw gets to pick like a night out, you know. So it's fun. Nice. But uh, also, I I do another thing with uh, my buddy where we pick uh, alternate to see. Uh, basically, the goal is just to get a team into the Super Bowl, and hopefully, you can get the winner. And uh, so I've kind of studied this a little bit, and I'm just going to give you my thoughts on it. I, I really believe the AFC, you could have three teams that could go, but I, I just don't think – here's the thing. I think there's three that can go, but there's no chance anyone else would go. Does that make sense? Like, oh, I just yeah. don't see the Jags or the Chargers oh. or the Ravens or any. But I, I think you can make an argument for all the Bills, KC, and Bengals. And the thing about the Bills is I feel like, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna be playing uh, for Hamlin, right? There's yeah. gonna be that. There's also gonna be the Bengals are gonna be playing because they're pissed because they, you know, they lost out on the chance to, you know, play yeah, that game and seat. have yeah. right. But I think people aren't bringing this now. Maybe I haven't researched it enough, but I don't know if people are bringing up the Mahomes factor in KC. I, I gotta believe, man, they're gonna be hungry after the way it ended last year. Well, and if they wind up playing can or playing Cincinnati. Cincinnati's had their number, and I and I think I think Kansas City will be able to figure that out. And they'd be at home, whereas if it was the Bills, it'd right. be a neutral site, right? Correct, correct. So I, you know, I could really see all three. Do, do you see one over the other? I I think I'm leaning KC, but I I think the Bengals could beat the Bills. I do. I do too. I I mean the Bill. You know, you have the emotional factor with the Bills, which who knows how far that takes them. Maybe it wears them down, right? Maybe it's hard to – if they've gone through a lot. Um, and they're a really good team. They've probably been the – they were probably the best team for most of the season, dealt with some big injuries. Um, but I like Kansas City too, Judd. Um, I kind of – for whatever reason, I'm, I would rank them Kansas City, Cincinnati, Buffalo. Uh, but I'm going to go Kansas City coming out of the AFC. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. Last year, I remember we had the same conversation. And what I'm about to say is, is that I, I feel like it's going to be one of those three. And like, I'm not going out on a limb here, but kind of in a way, because last year I wouldn't have thought the Bengals were in the Super Bowl. Right. I would have told you it would have been the Bills or KC, right? Sure. And we thought it was going to be Green Bay. I think we both did last year in the NFC. Yeah. So I'm going to go out and say again, I think it's one of those three teams in the AFC. And in the NFC, I just don't see it being anyone else but the Niners or Eagles, one of those two. But, but again, the, last year the Rams and the Bengals, the Rams got in and they weren't one of the favorites. So um, I don't know. What do you think? Anyone else besides Eagles or Niners? Yeah. Well, you know, I hate picking just chalk because usually it doesn't work. Um, right. You know, and Hertz hasn't played. You know, he's been banged up, right? I mean, he, I think he played the finale, right? Didn't he play? Um, yeah. But he's banged up. Um, so I, I, so that's a question for me there. I know they're really good, and they got the bye week, so that'll help. Um, I know Purdy's been playing unbelievable. I love Kyle Shanahan. I love the 49ers defensive front. Does a rookie that was the last pick of the draft take a team to the Super Bowl? That feels really hard to get my head around. Not that it can't <laughs> happen, but it feels like it feels like it would buck a lot of odds. Um, so therefore, I'm ruling out San Francisco and I'm going between Philly and Dallas. And you, wait, you're going to maybe put Dallas in the Super Bowl? I'm going to go out on a limb, Judd, and take <laughs> Dallas. Because I don't think anybody else could do it. I don't think Tampa can make that run. I don't yeah. think Minnesota's good enough to make a run. I don't think the Giants are good enough to make a run. Right. Well, that's so, why I was going shot. Right. We're right. <laughs> so I'm going to go out on a limb and say Kansas City-Dallas. You made Kansas me do it. You made me do it, Chuck. <laughs> I made you do it. All right. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go Kansas City and the Niners. Um. Yeah, I, I get your point on the quarterback. I want to go – I honestly kind of want to just go Eagles. But, yeah, I, I just – I agree with you. I can't imagine – do the top seeds both get in? I mean, we've learned our lesson on that. But, uh, you know, I could the Vikings be a team that would surprise you and make a run? I don't know. I don't think yeah, so. I, don't, yeah, I just great. don't see it. I don't see yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, that's um, – so. All right. Wow, that was good. That was a yeah. big – but I tell you what, if anyone started out from the beginning and made it all the way to the end, congratulations! God, yeah, God bless them. This was a marathon. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> well, I appreciate the time, Chad. Um, we'll touch base. I don't know if we'll do it every week during the playoffs, but I'd like to keep in touch at least through our picks on Twitter. I'm sure there's, you know, who knows? We'll see if the Browns make news. If we can figure out how to do this, um, let's we'll do a touch. short one. Let's do a short one next week, breaking right. down these games, pr predicting the next games, and I want to go over the Browns schedule with you. Okay. And I, I'm going to give you a little homework. I'm going to pepper you with uh -oh. some questions. For example, like what was your favorite prediction that you made? Like I think la last week picking up, we both picked the Browns to beat Washington. I think that was a really good pick that I'm proud of. But then what was your worst pick? Uh -oh. Like for me, it was picking them to beat the Bengals the second time around. You know what I mean? I, I want to throw, yeah. throw some like the Jets game, the one right. that, boy, everyone thought you would have had. So maybe right. we could break down the schedule. Yeah, no, that sounds good. Sounds good. But, uh, thanks so much. It's got to be quick, though. Maybe like oh. 15 minutes. I, I can't do an hour and a half. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you, buddy. I need, I need to go get drink some hot tea. Um, yeah. So, thanks so much, Chud. This was a good one. It was good to recap the season. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been another episode of the Zone Coverage Podcast, and you can read all my work at brownzone.com.